pray one time for just this message, and then we'll, we'll get into it. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your word, God. You said the words I speak unto you, their spirit and their life. Speak to us by your living word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Open with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, we're just going to read verses 3 and 4 as we begin this morning. Mark 4, 3. Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow, and it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. Now this is probably the most familiar parable in the whole Bible, I would say. There's others, but this is, is one that I guess is most known, or one, certainly one of the most known and detailed and one of the longest parables. It's in three of the four Gospels. It's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We just read from Mark's account, just po a portion of it. I want to read this from Matthew. You don't have to turn there. He spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some fell by the wayside. It says in Luke, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. Now, I want to say here this morning that sowers sow. Okay? This is, this is the thought. We all know the parable. Okay? We all know the parable. And I'm going to explain it just real briefly the way the Bible does. But in this parable, the sower went forth to sow. And as he sowed his seed, some fell by the wayside. And it's immediately the fowls of the air gobbled it up. They swooped down and devoured it. Okay, so it never took root. Some of the seed fell on the stony ground where there wasn't much earth. And it sprung up and had a little life to it. But because it didn't have any root in it, after a while it withered and died and brought forth no fruit. Some fell among thorns, and it grew up, but it had a hard time growing so hard that the cares of this life, the Bible says, and the cares for riches choked it out, and it didn't ever become fruitful and prosper. But it says some fell on good ground. And that is described as a believing heart, a heart that with joy not only receives it, but believes it and sets their heart to it, basically. And it brought forth much fruit, some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. Okay? And so we know the, the parable. But what God would have us to hear this morning is that the sower sower sow. Sower sow. Some fell in the way, uh, heart hard path and hard ground. Some fell by the wayside. Some fell among thorns. Some fell on good ground and brought forth fruit. That's the only one that prospered was the last one. But I can say this, it wouldn't have fallen anywhere on any kind of ground if it had just stayed in his pocket. If the sower took the seed and put it in a bag and put it on the shelf and went swimming or fishing or whatever, it's not going to fall on any ground and not going to bring forth any fruit. If he just sticks it in his pocket Sowers sow. That's what they do. Sowers uh, are the, the one that's scattering the seed. They're occupied with their labor. They're occupied with their labor of sowing the seed. They're actively and skillfully and I would say joyfully and consistently and happily engaged in sowing the seed. Sowing good seed. Because in the parable, the seed was good. 
And very simply, what does that mean to us? What does that mean to you and to me as Christians, as born-again believers? God's people are to be actively, skillfully, consistently, happily sowing the seed of God's word. This is such a simple message this morning, but we are to be engaged in preaching the saving gospel of Christ. We are to be uh, sharing that message of salvation with others. There is no other seed like it. There's no other message like it. There's no other hope like it. There's no other Savior like Jesus Christ. And there's no other hope for sinners. Hebrews describes Christ as the refuge for sinners to which men flee. Sinners flee. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Where do I go? I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I can't help myself. He is the refuge for sinners. We flee to him. And we believe upon him. We find mercy. And we find grace. And we find forgiveness. And we find cleansing in the blood of Jesus. And we find new life in Christ. Amen. And acceptance in the beloved. And there's no message like it. There's no gospel like it. Those that are, have been redeemed by the Lord are to be actively seeking the redemption of others. What does the Bible say? What does Jesus say about his purpose for coming to the earth, born in a manger in Bethlehem and so forth? We know he lived to die, but he came. He says, I came to establish a kingdom right now. No, he said, I came to seek and save that which is lost, right? He came to seek and save the lost. And the Bible says in 1 John 4, 17, for as he is, so are we in this world. That's one of the characteristics that we ought to have as Christians. If he came to seek and to save the lost, then those that have been redeemed by Christ are to be desiring the salvation and seeking for the lost to be saved. People that are your friends, people that are your family, people that are just acquaintances, people acquaintances, people that are co-workers, classmates, people that are strangers, people that are enemies. We ought to be seeking and desiring their salvation. Amen. We're to be about our father's business on this earth. From the day that we got saved, we belong to him. We're always his creation. We're always created in the image of God. But the day we were born again, like we talked about last week, we became his purchase possession. Purchase possession. I want to share this. I hadn't planned on it, sharing it this morning. I heard one of the most wonderful illustrations I've ever heard. There was a little boy in a, in a town, and uh, people would go out and sail these little, little the boy the kids would go out and float their little boats on this lake. It was a big thing, and they wanted to have the nicest, coolest looking little toy boat, and they would float it out on this lake. And uh, he. He didn't have enough, uh, he built his, his boat because he didn't have enough money to, to buy one. So he built a little boat, little by little, little by little, carving away this wood. And then he finally gets to the point where he's painting it and so forth and puts this little sail on it. And he sets it out on the, the pond, the lake with the other kids. And he's sailing his boat and he's so proud of it. And one day it, uh, it got caught up in the wind and it, it pushed it to one side where there was like a spillway in the lake. And his boat went over the little spillway out the lake and down a river. And it was out towards the harbor, okay, out of sight. He, he lost his boat. He was so upset and heartbroken about it. And one day he was walking by a toy store uh, on, down the street. And uh, he noticed, he looks in the window and he says, 
that's my boat. That, no, that's my boat. They've got in the window this toy store. It's a toy store. So he walks in and he says, uh, Mister, that's my boat. Can I have it? He goes, No, son. I, I found this myself, and and uh, you're gonna have to buy it. Well, how much is it? And he gives him the price, and the boy's like, Oh no. So he wants that boat so bad, he starts doing little odd jobs and working for it and working for it and saving money and do I have enough and finally adds it up and he's got enough and he brings it down to the owner and says, here it is, here's the money for that boat. And he takes that little boat and he says, you're twice mine. He says, I made you and I redeemed you. I thought that, that's what Jesus did for us. He made us and then he redeemed us, amen, unto himself. And there is not a more wonderful message than the saving gospel of Jesus Christ to share with other people. Why would we not gladly be sharing the gospel of Christ? There are some reasons. I would say they're not reasons as much as excuses or reasons that we have in our mind. But we are to be about our Father's business, not our own business. The Bible says that in John, you don't need to turn there, I'll read it to you, but this is towards the end of John chapter 1. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother, Simon, and said unto him, We have found Messiah, which is being interpreted to Christ. What is the first thing that Andrew did? He heard about Jesus found Jesus, so to speak. You could say the Lord found him. What's the first thing? He went first and found his, own, found his own brother, Simon, Peter, and says, we found the Messiah. Let me bring you to him. A few scriptures later, the Bible says, Philip found it. The Lord went and found Philip. Personally, he went and found Philip. Philip findeth Nathanael and said unto him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write. Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. Soul winning, right? Soul winning. Telling people the good news of Jesus Christ. So in the good seed of the gospel is to be the normal, I would say normal, natural practice and habitat of anyone that's been redeemed. It's not, uh, it's not normal for a lost world but it ought to be normal for everyone that has found Christ and is found in Christ. Amen? It ought to be normal for us, the natural state of our lives. There was a man on a job interview, and the interviewer said to the, the man being interviewed, what do you want to do with your life? And without hesitation, the man leaned forward and says, I want to go to heaven when I die and take as many people with me as I can. That's what I want to do with my life, Okay. And that ought to be the calling. It is the calling. It ought to be our heart's desire. Think about this, y'all. This is a very, very simple message this morning. But the Lord wants us to get it, okay, and to lay hold on it. I think our lives would be changed. I think our church would be changed. I know it would be if we would get a hold of this and let God begin to use us. Our joy would be changed. Because can I tell you, as a Christian, I can't think, I don't think there's a greater joy than being the person that God uses to win someone to him. I don't think there's, there's nothing in Christ that really compares to that. But we were lost at one time. 
We weren't always saved. We weren't born saved. You might have got saved when you were young, but you weren't born saved. You were born lost and in need of a Savior. We were lost, and God sent someone to proclaim the gospel of Christ to us. It could have been the pastor in the church. It could have been your mom, your dad. It could have been someone, a friend. Uh, but somebody brought the gospel of grace to your life. Amen? And you believed, and I believed, and we are now born again. We are now passed from death unto life. We are not on the process of, the process of doing that. We have done that. We have been born again like we talked about last week. And so you and I now, now that we're in Christ, have the privilege and the responsibility to bring other men to Christ. It is both. I said a privilege and a responsibility. It's a privilege. It would be like someone, uh, it's a privilege and a responsibility for me to pastor this church. It's a privilege to get to, to pastor people and shepherd God's people as an under-shepherd of the good shepherd. And it's a responsibility that I have, whether I feel like it or not, to pray and prepare and to, and to pray for you and, and to pastor. It's a privilege and a responsibility for someone to represent their country, say, in the military or something like that. They have responsibilities, great responsibility, but they would say it's a privilege as well. So we have both the privilege and the responsibility to win men to Christ, to bring other people to the same Jesus that we know. The Psalm, Psalm 126, 6 says, He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, so remember our parable, the seed and the sower, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. He's going to bring some kind of return from that seed. He's going forth bearing the precious seed. He's going to come back rejoicing, bearing the sheaves. That would be the crops, say the grain or the wheat that was produced from those seeds that he personally sowed. Amen. And he's going to do it with rejoicing. You and I have the responsibility to sow this seed to seek the salvation of the lost like Jesus. And Paul says, by all means, save some. You may never sell, say, have as many saved. We know the Lord is the one that saves. You might not be the, ever lead as many people to Christ as D.L. Moody. But Paul says, and the word of God says, by all means, save some. Save somebody. Reach somebody. Reach your own children. Reach somebody for Jesus. The means by which this is done, by which men come to know Christ, the same means by which you came to know Christ, is through the preaching and the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not done necessarily because we become best buddies and, and have a relationship with everybody that we meet in life. Maybe some you will, maybe some you won't. It is done through the power of the gospel. And that parable, we, we opened up in Mark chapter 4. A few verses later, I'll just read it to you. It says, Behold, the sower went forth to sow. And it skips down into verse 14. Ten verses later, so it says, The sower, and this is the explanation of the parable. The sower soweth the word. That's what the scripture says. Mark 4, 14. The sower sows the word. So the means by which men are saved and come to know Christ is the gospel of Jesus Christ. They do not come some other way. 
and may see the Lord in you, and they need to see the Lord in you and me. There may be a lot of things that work into that, but for them to be born again in Christ like you're born again in Christ, and like the Bible says, it will have to eventually be through them believing the gospel. Paul said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It says in, in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the preaching of the cross, that's the gospel, is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us that are saved, it's the power of God. That is the means by which men are saved. We talked about it last week a little bit. You don't just sort of, uh, I don't know, someday without your knowing it, just get attached to Christian things and one day die and go to heaven. You must be born again. And you must be born again in belief of this gospel. The Bible says so. And, like I said, there might be a lot of things that lead into that. It may take years of people praying for you and your heart getting soft and where, where finally you understand and you believe. But that is what ha it has to be believed. It has to be heard and it has to be believed. Amen. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to first, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Let's read verses 18 and verse 18. Verse 18. All things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. He is committed. He, those, every single person that he's redeemed, he is committed to that individual person or all of us, the word of reconciliation. We're not going to go out on the streets and Eric shares one message and I'm, you know, one block over in the neighborhood where we go witnessing and I'm sharing a different message and Diane goes and she's sharing something totally different to some family members of hers somewhere. It's going to be, he has committed to us the word of reconciliation and he's not left it up to us to try to invent the way for which men are saved. You might have some good icebreakers and things like that that help you get a conversation started. Amen. And praise God. And God gives you those little things. And, and, and they're very helpful. Okay. At some point, you need to get to this point. You need to get to the gospel. You need to get to the word of reconciliation. He's committed that to us and he's given us that ministry. Reconciliation means to exchange. It means atonement. This is the definition. And I like this one. Restoration to the, the divine favor. Restitution to the divine favor. So when you were reconciled to God and I was reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus, though we didn't maybe understand fully all the technical terms of what was taking place, you were put in a right standing with God. Two parties that are estranged, people that are going through divorce court or uh, businesses and a, there's a split in the partnership and they're estranged. And for them to be reconciled and brought back together and, and happy and in the right place, place. Everything's the way it should be. All's right with the world. 
They're reconciled, fully reconciled and restored. Not gritting their teeth and bearing it, and we're going to get through this, this thing. Reconciled and one. That's what it means, restored to the divine favor. You might say, I'm a Christian, but I don't really have a ministry. I don't have a ministry. I don't know what God has called me to do. I've been saved five years, 10 years, 15 years. I'm still searching for my ministry. Can I tell you, according to the word of God, here is your ministry. Sow the seed of the gospel. He just told us that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. I'm not saying it's your only ministry. I'm saying it is your ministry. It is your ministry. Amen. And we don't have to search endlessly and endlessly. There are so many people that are, seem like they're endlessly searching for what is their calling. It's your calling. And it's my calling. He's committed to us the word of reconciliation and given to us the ministry of reconciliation. This is your calling. And the question from the Lord for both of us, for all of us, is are you faithful to this? Are you faithful to this ministry? We just read, and where was it? If you want to highlight in your about 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19, we highlight it. Are we faithful to it? Are we currently and faithfully sowing the seed of the gospel? Are we filling up the place where God has put us now? Is that always looking forward to the next big thing? We ought to be looking at what God's called us to do now. He'll bring us the next big thing. But we ought to be actively involved in what he's called us to do now. Filling up that place where we are. Amen. I preached a sermon on that years ago about filling up the place where you are. The Bible speaks of Christ. I'll just quote it from Hebrews 3. Christ was faithful to him that appointed him. He was to his father. As also Moses was faithful in all his house. Moses was faithful to do what God showed him to do. Christ was faithful to do what his father sent him to do. We need to be faithful and actively doing what God has called us to do. If you're saved, this is your calling. Again, it's not, I'm not saying it's your only calling. Okay? I'm saying if you're saved, this is your calling. Many are endlessly seeking the next big thing and the next big ministry, and it seems exciting, and there's more recognition. It seems interesting to them and so forth. And yet the question is from God, are you being faithful to God now? Are you being faithful to God right now in the ministry of reconciliation, telling other people about Jesus Christ, working in the fields for the Lord? Are we filling up the place where we are? Are we serving the Lord with all of our heart and might right now as soul winners? Are you diligently seeking to win men to Christ? We should not expect some, quote, bigger, better ministry opportunity from the Lord until we're faithful to do what he's already called us to do. The normal, what I was calling, what the Bible would call the normal calling of every believer to be a soul winner. We go forth in the Lord's name and we proclaim this gospel. The Bible says, for whomsoever hath Jesus said, whosoever hath, to him it shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Why did I read that scripture? Because many times I say we want the next big ministry thing, and yet we're not possibly being faithful 
and what he's already called us to do. In the parable of the, the good steward, he says, Well done, thou good and faithful steward. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. I'm just giving these scriptures to talk about faithfulness. It wasn't a competition between the three servants. One was given one talent, one three, one five. Uh, and what they, they weren't compared to one another. They were accountable to their master. Were you faithful with that one talent? Were you faithful with the three? Were you faithful with the five? I'm not comparing you to one another. Were you faithful with what I gave you? He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is our ministry for Christ on this earth. I want to read this from Romans. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Lost people. How are they going to call on whom, whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. I want to talk just a moment about uh, filling up that place where we are. And this morning, we're only really talking about one thing. We're talking about soul winning. We're talking about winning people to Christ and being faithful to the Lord in doing that. And I always, uh, I love D.L. Moody. I've mentioned D.L. Moody all the time. I like him because he was humble. I like him. He was a plain, everyday, ordinary, Joe Blow kind of guy. There was nothing special about him except he got saved and he decided this is what God's called me to do, and God called him to do it, and he began to preach the gospel, and people got saved. And his English wasn't the best, and his grammar wasn't the best, and some of the higher-end society people in the church uh, didn't, you know, would always criticize maybe because he used just plain folk kind of talk or whatever. He was a plain guy, but tens of thousands would get saved, and it's, it's believed that he led hundreds of thousands of people to the Lord. He had made a commitment to Christ, not only in his preaching. He was an evangelist. He founded the Moody Bible Institute, which we know of today. And uh, he not only did he preach and go to Europe and different places, uh, but he, was, he made a commitment to the Lord. He made a vow to the Lord. Don't ever make a vow to God unless you intend to keep it, okay? So think about it before you make it. But his vow to the Lord is he wouldn't go to bed at night Without, the, without sharing the gospel with at least one person every single day. So if it was just one a day, 365 people in a year he shared the gospel with personally. And he shares how it was very hard at sometimes. One time he was asleep in the bed, and uh, at night he was just, just falling off to sleep, and he realized he hadn't shared the gospel with anybody that day. He lived in Chicago at the time. He got up, woke up and, and uh, got out of bed, put his clothes on, went stood on the corner, and there was a guy standing there with an umbrella because it was raining. And he said, can I share that with you? And the guy said, sure. And he goes, well, see, you got a shelter from the rain. Do you have a shelter for your soul? And he started talking to him about the Lord. And we might think it's corny or whatever, but it was his commitment to the Lord. Okay? And he was used, and I'm talking about filling up the place of ministry. When he was very young, before he became the D.L. Moody that people knew, and he had just gotten saved, he wanted to serve the Lord, and he went to his 
pastor and says, Pastor, can I have a Sunday school class? I'm dying to teach. Can you give me a Sunday school class? Because no, we got all of our classrooms are full and all of our uh, age groups are covered. Every classroom is staffed and for every subject, you know, every age. And there's not a, a Sunday school class for you. He goes, well, I really want to, I really feel like I'm supposed to teach. And he says, he brought him out to uh, Lake Michigan in Chicago on the, the lake. And around the lake, that area on the shore, there was a lot of homeless boys that lived out on the streets, homeless people. And he says, Moody, here's your Sunday school class. Here's your Sunday school class. See all these boys out here, homeless, that's your class. Was he faithful? He began to minister to them, began to preach the gospel to them. Some started getting saved. They finally, uh, he says, they want to bring him into the church now. Pastor, he goes, okay, here, use this, whatever, this storage room or whatever. We'll clean it out. That's your Sunday school class. It started growing and growing. They had to tear it down and build another building or facility for him because so many people were getting saved, and he was bringing them into the church, okay? This was a Sunday school class. I believe this. I don't always fill it like, fulfill it like Moody, but I believe that God wants every one of you and, every, and all of us to fill up the place where we are. Fill it up to bursting out. A man's gift makes room for him. Then guess what? God will give us a bigger Sunday school class, so to speak like Moody. Moody was faithful. To me, that's being faithful. Here's your Sunday school class. These guys, yeah, those guys, that's your Sunday school class. He had to bring the gospel to them. Some got saved, some didn't. And once people were getting saved, he says, I want to bring them into the church where they can be discipled and grow. And they had to make room for him to bring them in. I think I'd like to do this. I want to sing a solo. We don't have this in our church, pray God. I want to do this and I want to do that. And, and God's saying, I want you to do this. I want you to do this. Because that guy you just passed, he's going to hell. I want you to do this. This is what I called you to do. And if we're faithful in that, God will give us more. Be faithful in what God's called you to do. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 2. Now, we all know this, this passage is the day of Pentecost, and it talks about the, I guess you'd say the characteristics or the nature and the practices of the early church, the first church, really, on the day of Pentecost, verse 42, Acts 2.42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the Apostles and all that believed were together and had all things in common. Let's skip down verse 46. And they, continu they continued daily with one accord, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking of bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And this is the last part I want to read. So that's the condition of the early church, the characteristic. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. It was almost like you, you read about the church. They were obedient to Christ. They were continuing steadfastly in good doctrine and so forth. And fellowship and given to those that had need and so forth. And this was like the Lord's blessing on that. This was like the Lord's approval and sign that he was approved. He was approving of, 
of their Christianity in their life, the Lord added to their church daily such as should be saved. It was almost like the fruit or the reward of their godly lives that they live. They live. Their lives, the lives of these believers that we just read about in Acts chapter 2, their lives had impacted other lives. They had a longing for souls to be saved. They were sharing the gospel with others, and the Lord was saving and adding to the church. Amen? Such as should be saved. The Lord's called us to this, y'all. Jesus alone is the Savior. He and he alone, he saves men. But he graciously, first of all, has chosen that through the gospel men are saved. Through the preaching of the gospel that men be saved. That through the foolishness, for after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. That's almost facetiously speaking. It's, preaching is not foolishness, but preaching the, the cross in a day where everybody's so intellectual and advanced as they think they are and so forth, preaching the cross about this man that died 2,000 years ago in, in Jerusalem on a cross as a criminal, uh, it, it's foolishness. But yet God has chosen... It says it pleased God by the foolishness of pre preaching to save them that believe. That's his choice. He, it pleases God that men are saved through the foolishness, what he calls the foolishness of preaching. That's the first of all, first thing he's chosen that way. He's the Savior, but he's chosen for men to be saved through the preaching of his gospel. Second of all, he has commissioned and enlisted all those that he, he has saved into this ministry to work in his fields. The great commission and some of the parting words of Jesus before he ascended was go ye into all the world and preach this gospel to every creature. I'll be working with you with signs and following. I'm going to go with you and I'm with you even to the ends of the earth. He says, but who, he that believes is saved. He that believes not is damned. Period. Let's keep it real simple. It's based on this gospel and he's commissioned you and me to work in his fields and to, to, uh, to be actively working as the Lord has led us to, to do so. Paul said, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. It's all back to the Lord. He's the Savior, but he's chosen to use us. Amen? He's chosen to use us. I'm going to bring this to a close. We cannot, nor would God have us to, we cannot excuse ourselves or attempt to excuse ourselves from this heavenly calling of being a soul winner. Don't look for a way out and think that's for Moody, not for me. We cannot hide behind our personality. What do I mean by that? Well, I'm shy, I'm quiet, I'm reserved. It's not my personality. It's not my thing. It's not how I am. We can't hide behind that and use that for an excuse or a reason to not be preaching this gospel to others. It doesn't hold water. It's not going to work. It's, not an, it's an excuse. It's not a reason. Moses stuttered when he spoke, and the Lord says, I made your mouth. I'll be with your mouth. Go do what I've called you to do. Go lead my people, Israel. Same thing for us. 
We can't hide our, behind our personality and say, I'm just quiet. I can't meet people. I can't talk to people. I turn red. I turn, start sweating. Uh, so do I. Okay? We need to do it. God's called us to do it. He will give us the strength to do it. We can't hide behind the busyness of our lives. And that one really hits home, doesn't it? The busyness of our lives. I don't have time to stop and share the gospel with somebody sitting on a park bench. I'm flying. I'm on my way to, to study my Sunday school lesson that I'm teaching the kids. We can't hide behind busyness that we're too busy, even in good things and even in the ministry. I shared this a couple of weeks ago and we talked in that sermon. I thought I had more time. The Lord, I can just hear the Lord saying, this is not a scripture, but I know the Lord would say, I gave you enough time for that. I gave you time to, to stop and share the gospel. You to do. I gave you plenty. I gave you enough hours in a day, and I gave you enough time to do everything I called you to do. You're doing some stuff I didn't call you to do. That's why you don't have time. And that's why your life's like a rat race. I gave you enough time. We can't hide behind our personality. We can't hide behind our, the busyness of our schedule. We can't hide behind uh, and say that I'm, I'm afraid because the Lord gives us boldness. The Lord gives us boldness. It's not you and it's not me. It's we're finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. Well, I, I don't know what to say. I wouldn't know what to say if I talked to a person about Jesus. You know what Paul told Timothy? Preach the word. So that one's settled right there. Get familiar with your Bible and get familiar with the scriptures that deal with salvation and, and find them and write them down and learn them and memorize them and be familiar with it. We do know what to say. It's, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to bring this on to our... Our Lord requires this of us. It is a ministry of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians 5, that he's given to us or committed to us. And I would say, praise the Lord, he also has mightily and does mightily equip us for this. He enables us for, to do it. It looks like it's beyond us. That what you're talking about, uh, Pastor, is way beyond me. My time, my personality, everything, is, it's way beyond me. But who he calls, he equips, and he sufficiently equips, and he more than equips. Amen? We cannot do it without his power. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. But we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the, the world. He does equip us. And go back to where we, where we opened. Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, one of the other gospels says, as he sowed, when he sowed. Closing with this thought. He sowed, the sower in our parable, in the Lord's parable, he sowed because he was a sower. He sowed because he was a sower. He didn't stress about it. He didn't debate about it. He didn't question it. He didn't think he had a better plan. He didn't run from it. He didn't put it off to another day. He didn't reason away. He didn't hope somebody else would do it. He went forth and sowed. A sower went forth to sow. 
you're born again, you're born again, then you have the ministry, and so do I, of reconciliation. He's called us to go forth, and so. He made us his ambassadors. He made us preachers, witnesses, reconcilers of men unto God. And my prayer is simply this, Lord, help us to be faithful to what you've called us to be. Say ye not, there are yet four months, and then after cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathered fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. You're jumping up and down because they got saved. They're jumping up and down because they got saved. You're hugging each other and crying. And, and it's all wonderful because they got saved and you're excited they got saved and you're the one that got to lead them to the Lord. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. And we rejoice together. It's not just for mission trips. It's not just for the times that we've got street witnessing. I would think by far most people are saved in their regular everyday, day-to-day, sharing the gospel with somebody. Far more than in big crusades, and I'm all for those things. Or go, the times we plan, and we need to go out in the street witness as a church, but we need to be witnessing daily, like D.L. Moody. I'm closing with this. You've heard it, but it's still wonderful. I didn't make any of this stuff up. This is a real account from Paris Reedhead's sermons. Two young Moravians heard of an island in the West Indies where there was an atheist British owner had two to 3,000 slaves in the West Indies. The owner said, no preacher, no clergyman will ever stay on this island. If he's shipwrecked, we'll keep him in a separate house until he has to leave. But he's never going to talk to any of us about God. I'm through with all that nonsense. This is the owner of the island and the owner of the roughly 3,000 slaves that were there. 3,000 slaves from the jungles of Africa were brought to this island in the Atlantic And there they're going to live and die without hearing of Christ. Several thousand slaves were sold to the sugarcane fields under the sun. And they were doomed to live without ever hearing about the Lord. Two young Germans in their 20s from the Moravian sect. They were believers. Heard about this island. This atheist owner. And the men that were there working. And they were willing. Not only were they willing. They did it. They were willing to sell themselves to the British planter for the standard price for a male slave. And so they sold themselves to be slaves, to go to this island. The guy wouldn't even pay their fare. They had to get money from selling themselves as a slave. The Moravian community from Heronut, this in Germany, came to see the two lads off as they're getting on the ship. They would never return again. This was a lifetime of slavery. As a member of the slave community, they would tell who they could about Jesus and the love of God. Family members were emotional. They were weeping. Was their extreme sacrifice wise? Was it necessary? They they let the ropes were left off the ship. And as the ship slipped away with the tide and the gap widened, The young men linked arms on the boat with their hands and they shouted across the spreading gap where the people were watching them off. 
May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. And this became the call of the Moravian missions. And this is really our only reason for being, for being saved and being on this planet, that the lamb that was slain would receive the reward for his suffering. Dee, would you come? As I said at the beginning, I believe if we, if we would get this in the Lord, if we would lay hold on it, altars are open, and lay hold on Christ and lay hold on this ministry and ask him for his help and strength to do it and make a commitment to the Lord to do it, I believe it would change our lives. And I believe it would change Cornerstone Church. And maybe it would be a spark of bringing revival to our nation. I don't know. But we can't always think it's for someone else. And we can't always think it's for some other time. It's for you, and it's for me, and it's for now. That's what it's for. It's for you and for me, and it's for now. And I just pray these altars would be filled. I pray we'd be crying out to God. Where you lead me, Lord, I'll go. I'll say yes, Lord, to your will. Maybe we need to repent and say, God, forgive me for not sharing this gospel more. I get too busy, even in the church, or I hide behind my busyness and I hide behind my uh, personality. Oh, Father God, forgive us, Lord. Forgive us as a church. I pray you would make us a soul-winning people. I pray we would know the joy. You said those that go sowing their seed, weeping, and are going to come again bearing their sheaves with rejoicing. Father, you've made it joyful to both he that, that uh, preaches the gospel and he that is saved get to rejoice together. And Father, it brings glory to you. The angels in heaven around the throne of God rejoice when one sinner comes to repentance. Father, there's not a higher calling. There's not a higher occupation than being in the fields of the Lord, working in your fields. You're saying, will you come work in my field? And we say, yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God.